The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. That, okay? So we'll be again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 12 today. We're going to pick up kind of the story. There's a little bit of a, a narrative, a story that's going on here. Uh, Paul has been to Corinth and he, and he, he kind of did his first visit and they went all crazy and, and were you know, celebrating sin and just all this kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, he left and heard about everything that was going on wrote them what he called a very severe letter um, that they have already received at some point, and he's very worried about how they responded to that. And he's on the way, he's going to be talking about this, he's on the way to meet Titus um, to kind of hear the report. And the letter that we're reading is a result of that meeting with Titus. So before he goes back to Corinth, he's going to meet him and kind of find out what's going on and then write them a second letter. So that's kind of where we're picking up the story here um, as he's uh, writing to or going to go see Titus. Um, And the first thing we see is that he's going to go with the gospel as he's going to on this journey um, and as he's going to meet Titus. So look in uh, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And it starts out, he says, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. So he shows up in Troas, he's kind of expecting uh, Titus to be there, and Titus isn't there, so he's like, well, I'm not going to stay here, I'm going to go ahead and leave and go to Macedonia and look for Titus along the way. Now you and I are like, this is a really sloppy way to do life, this is what we did before cell phones, (laughs) you know, Uh, before we had maps and we could find my friend on my cell phone, Uh, we just kind of took an aim at something and hope I'll see you there in a couple of months kind of a thing. Um, and so that's what he's doing as he, as he does this. The first thing I wanted you to see as he's on this journey is that he goes to, uh, to Troas, but he's going, he says, I go for the gospel. I went to Troas for the gospel and there was a door of some kind of ministry that was opened up for him in Troas um, when he was there. And so the first thing I wanted to ask you guys was, where did you go this week, this last week? Can you just kind of replay the week in your head? Where did I go? What did I do this last week? And then I want to ask you to take that um, schedule, that calendar, and I want you to lay over the top of that, where did I go for the gospel this last week? So not only did I go somewhere, I'm not asking were you busy, I'm not asking did you do something, I'm asking in all the busyness and in all the going, did you go or where did you go for the gospel? Will we do something simple? And we've talked about this so many times. Will we do something simple where we go somewhere simple like across the street or to the cubicle next to us or the office down the hall? Will we go to the other side of the cafeteria or the other side of the dining hall? Will we go to our neighbors? Sometimes when we think about going, it's actually easier to go far away. We'd rather go to Panitas with our students, or we'd rather go to Mexico with our refuge kids, or we'd rather go to uh, Uganda with our Uganda team. And that seems and feels a little bit easier, but I think for most of us, it's easier or easiest to talk ourselves out of going far away 
We're like, I'm not a missionary. I can't afford that. There's a million reasons why I can't do that. And then we also don't go to anybody close by. We're not going with the gospel anywhere. So here's what we've all got to kind of get through our heads. And we talked about this about a month ago. We've all got to get through our heads that God is not really asking us to go anywhere new or different. He's not asking you to go to Guam. He's not asking you to go to, to Pasadena on the other side of town. He's asking you to go where you're already going. Are you going to go home today? When we leave here, is anybody going to go home? Most of us at some point are going to end up back in our homes. Then be on the lookout for your neighbors. Instead of hiding when they come and shutting the garage door, take the time to go outside and talk to them and instigate some kind of relationship with them. Will we just go across our lawn to our neighbors? Are you going to go to work tomorrow? Then go to that coworker. Are you going to go to soccer or football or your chess team or baseball? Or are you going anywhere this week for these pastimes that we have? Then go to that teammate and go to that other family and go down on the sideline and talk to someone. Go wherever it is that you're going, but go for the gospel. So the first thing we see is that Paul went there and he went for the gospel. It doesn't have to be anywhere different. We just want to go where we're going for the gospel. So Paul is also on the way as he's going on this way to meet with Titus. And Titus is a no-show there. So now he's like, well, what am I going to do? Now there's a change of plans. So I've, I've gone to Troas with the gospel, for the gospel, and it's not working out the way that I kind of expected it to work out. So what is he going to do now? He starts off on foot to maybe hopefully meet him along the way. So he starts off to another place, another city, and hopefully he's going to meet him as he's going along the way. The other thing I want to remind you, and we'll talk about it a couple of times today, I want to remind you about is that Paul is still in this um, state of kind of reeling from the suffering that he's been in. It's very likely that he is still suffering and hurting as he's writing this letter. So he's in this time of pain um, and disappointment um, and everything that's happened in Corinth. Everything in Corinth got really ugly. It was really ugly. It got personally ugly. They attacked him personally. Um, And then the things that they were doing with their lives were very ugly and sinful. Um, And he's kind of reeling from that pain also. There's quite possibly physical pain that he's going through right now, spiritual pain, all this kind of stuff. Later on, um, he'll talk about this time. And he says, during this time, uh, he says, we were experiencing fighting from the outside and fear from the inside. So I I don't want everyone to lose that. Paul's not sitting in some padded room with somebody with a quill pen and he's eating grapes, writing this book to them. He's he's going, going through and has gone through a lot of difficulty and struggle and pain. So again, what if you're, I want to just say it again, in light of that, what if your pain, what if your struggle is for this very time, for the very place that you find yourself in? And it could be new and different, man. How many times in life are you headed this way and then life throws you this and you end up over here? What if that was the whole purpose the whole time? I know you've got your plans because I know I've got my plans, but rarely do they work out the way that I intend them to. And what if the whole thing is an intent from the Lord to put you right where you're at? To have you exactly in the place where you are right now. God led Paul to Corinth the first time and all that mess that was there. Then he led him on to Troas. Then he's going to lead him on to Macedonia. All for the gospel. So my question for you is wherever you're at in life, whatever right turn life has taken or U-turn that life has taken for you. 
Where is the Spirit leading you? Are you going for the gospel? We're going to just make an assumption here with Paul, because this is Paul's underlying assumption the entire time, that God is leading him, that God is working in him. This isn't happening the way I want it to, and it's caused me a lot of pain and suffering, but God is taking me somewhere. We're going to just assume that's true for us too, right? That God didn't take Paul and set him aside especially, and he's the only one he ever worked in. We're going to assume that he's doing the same thing in our lives, that he's taking us in our U-turns and in our hard right turns, and he's doing something in us. He's leading us and working in us. Am I looking for the gospel opportunities that that right turn has given me? So it's easy for us to kind of go, well, I've got this plan with my family or my plan with my finances or or, or my plan with my job, and I'm headed this direction, and God says, well, wait, I, I need you over here. Or I need you back here somewhere. Am I going to be looking for my gospel opportunities in those places? How many opportunities have you missed and have I missed? Because I'm looking for what should be or what was or what I hope could be. I'm so busy kind of getting lost in what isn't happening that I'm missing where I am right now. And I have this opportunity with whoever it is that God's placed me with for the gospel where I'm at. So I just want to encourage you that as you're going through whatever you're going through in life, first of all, go for the gospel. Secondly, look for your opportunities because it's either going to be an opportunity for disappointment and an opportunity to reject people and to be angry and bitter, or it's going to be an opportunity for ministry. So what disappointment or what change of direction is your opportunity for ministry right now? Have you ever thought about that? Like, where are you at right now? Where has God radically changed the direction you were heading? Where can you stop being sad and bitter and angry about what's not and just look around and go, whoa, where am I at? Where is this strange place? What's this new place? Who, who is around me right now that needs me to be here, that needs to hear about the gospel, that needs some ministry I can give them? You see what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, I don't want to always default to this, but obviously it's sharp and, and, and in our hearts and minds right now. I would have liked to have thought I would have responded this way anyway, but quite frankly, I mean, Mindy won't let me not respond this way. And every time we see a doctor or every time we see a nurse or every time we get a new diagnosis, she's like, I can't wait to see how God uses me there. And it's honestly not because she's super saying, it's because she spends a lot of time on her face before the Lord and God's driving her that way. But my gosh, what if we, why does cancer have to do that to us? Did you do something yesterday that didn't go the way it was supposed to? How much time did you waste being angry about what didn't happen? And you missed some opportunity to just minister to somebody in that new place where you were at. What if God has you where you're supposed to be right now for a particular purpose for the gospel? And you're missing it because you're upset about what hasn't happened. And what should have been. Let's go with the gospel and let's have our heads on a swivel looking for opportunities. With whatever change of direction God's given us to minister to those people there. So even in those difficulties and those suffering and the, 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 the hard times, the pain uh, that Paul is, is going through, he is confident that God is leading him. So what is that going to, how's that going to change his response? That's what we want to see. Like, what is that looking at life that way, very biblical perspective that God is leading me and he's got some reason why I'm here. How does that change what he does? Let's see what, what that is. So look in verse uh, 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. 
For we are a fragrance of Christ of God, uh, of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life. And yet who is adequate for these things? So there's a whole lot here. There's a ton of theology here that we're going to jump into. So what is Paul's like, you know, God's leading me in this way different direction, this way different place than I expected. How does that change how he responds to where he is? Well, first of all, he doesn't look at it as a, a bummer and a defeat. He's like, Christ is always leading us in triumph. God is always leading us in triumph behind our general who is Jesus Christ. Now, this imagery gets lost on us because I've never been to a military parade. Most of us in this room have really never been to a, a military parade. A lot of that's just fallen out of our existence and our experience. So it's this imagery that's kind of been lost to us. But the short uh, version of it would be that after a, in Rome, after a battle— in a victorious battle, that general would parade through Rome two groups of people. He would have his army, the conquering army, would come with their general and be applauded like a ticker tape parade kind of a thing. Like, you know, when we won World War II in downtown New York, and there's, it's just insanity, and there's, you know, confetti everywhere and parties and celebration. That happened, and so they're, they're celebrating the army that, that's won the victory, he also brought a group of people who were disgraced, who were mocked, who were, before their death, they would generally be turned over to be used in the games to be made fun of even as they died, were the conquered army. And often their generals would literally be tethered to with either a hook through their bicep muscle or something in their lip or something in their nose on a chain to the chariot of the conquering general. That's what Paul's talking about here. There's two groups of people that this conquering general is parading down the streets of Rome. One is his army we're going to celebrate. The other one is we're going to disdainfully mock them because we beat them. <laughs> okay? So the question we have to answer is, well, which one am I? <laughs> which, which group is Jesus leading me in triumph in as Paul uses this imagery? I actually kind of think it's a little bit of both. One in the sense that we are conquered by Christ. We've surrendered everything to him, to his saving work, and to the cross, and we are no longer at war with him. And that's Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 5. There's other places that talk about that. And now we're part of his army, and we've conquered over our enemies, Satan and sin and death. So there's this repeating idea in Scripture that when we lose, we lose to Christ his strength is revealed in our weakness. And we see it again here that I'm defeated, but his victory is seen in me because I have been defeated by him. I have surrendered to him. So I think both of these things are true for us. We're both in the conquering army. I'm part of God's army, but I've also been defeated. I've also been conquered by Christ. So we're a little bit of both of those things. So again, this upside down nature of the kingdom of God. So I'm going to Dig into that. What does it mean to be kind of conquered by Christ? First of all, when we submit to Jesus and we put on his chains, and what are his chains? Love and obedience, right? And a relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. When we put those chains on us and slavery to him, every other chain falls off of us. I am conquered by Christ and I willingly take on the slavery of following him and all other chains fall. I'm not mastered by anything anymore. 
So I'm conquered by him and all these chains fall off and I'm not mastered by anything else. Secondly, if we want real liberty and real freedom, we're going to submit ourselves to Jesus. If you want real freedom and real liberty, you're going to submit yourselves to Christ. He has the words of life, the rules of life. They're not rules to, to beat you down and to keep you from being the most satisfied in life that you can be. They're rules to show you this is what life looks like where you can really have life. So when I submit to him, I get true freedom and I get true liberty. Everything else is a farce. Everything else is a lie. That's where I find true freedom and true liberty is by being conquered by Christ. Next thing, I would say this, that as we sanctify, as God sanctifies us for the rest of our lives. So this is a big idea. I get saved. I come to him in faith and then I live some amount of time while I'm here on this earth. That process where he's working in me and changing me to look like Jesus, we call sanctification. Maybe there's another way to, do, to look at that. That sanctification is the process over the rest of my life during which I chain myself to Jesus. That I find a new way every day to take this thing that used to be attached to this thing for, or this person for happiness and joy and satisfaction and meaning in life. And I unhook it from there and I hook it onto the chariot of Jesus. So what if we just looked at that, that to lose some bit of freedom where I have attached myself to something else is a detachment and an attachment to the person of Christ. And that's the process of sanctification. The work that he does in us until we're not here anymore. So we, we have to start to ask, I'm going to keep pounding on this. We, we do all have to ask this question, what is it that's ruling you right now? What have you given yourself to? What have you attached yourself to? And you think, you're thinking, this is going to get me happiness, meaning, and satisfaction. What is it that's ruling in your life? What do you think you're winning with, but you're really losing? This is so hard for us to see. It's so difficult for us to see. It could be a girlfriend-boyfriend relationship, a education, finances, stuff, a successful business. It can be so many things. And we think we're winning, but really we're losing. Some of us remember famously in 2011, while smoking a cigarette on television and telling the world that he's HIV positive, Charlie Sheen says, I'm winning. That, that was his, that day, interpretation of where he was in life. He'd been fired from the most successful sitcom in America at the time. And he sits in front of cameras and he goes, winning. Later on, seven years later, 2018, cleaned himself up a little bit, comes back into a little bit of sobriety, and they ask him about that. A British reporter asked him about that, and he says this, he goes, yeah, I really wasn't winning, was I? I would painted myself into a corner, and I couldn't get out. I really believed a friend who's told me I was better than anyone else, and I could win at life like that. He was in bondage to what he thought was winning. Now, you just have to ask yourself, am I? Well, I'm not HIV positive. That's not the question. The question is, have you attached yourself to something in life that you think is bringing you happiness, success, and meaning, and in reality, you're losing with it? Give it up and bind yourself to Christ and receive a little bit more freedom Every day, as he becomes your master more and more and more.
What does it mean to lose in Christ, to be conquered by Christ? It means to break the chains of my self-determination. Do we understand that? That the longer I think I know the best way to do this, I become in bondage to my own will. I become in bondage to my own idea of what success and happiness and satisfaction is. And I have to unbind myself from self-determination to be free in Christ. And my personality becomes one with Jesus Christ. Not for me, but for absolute loyalty to Christ. Once you're there, you'll know. You'll just know. And I can't explain it to you in any, any other way. And once you get there, you won't ever want to come back. But you're binding yourself to him. So again, this question is for all of us, has that time in your life come when you have broken from all these things that would rule you? All these things that would tell you this is how you have happiness and meaning and satisfaction. Has that break come for you? Because listen, a Christian, here's what I want to tell us. Those of us who are saying, I'm following Christ. I would tell you this. Everything else you do, apart from submitting to Jesus Christ, is just false religion. And it's pride. And it's a fraud. I have to come to this point where I decide, will I give up? Will I surrender everything to Jesus and make no conditions whatsoever as to how he chooses to break me of that thing? I have to be broken from my self-determination. Oswald Chambers said this, and he was speaking at a college, uh, uh, a college graduation ceremony, and he said this. He said, the core of Christianity is that I deliberately sign away my own rights and become a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Until I do this, I do not begin to become a saint. And he says, this church, this group of people is not worth anything. It's not academic. It is for nothing else but for God to help himself to our lives. And think about that. We exist for no other reason than for God to help himself to our lives. Is he going to help himself to us or are we taken up with our concept of what we are going to be? We gain victory not only over our enemies, but here's the other thing that's cool about this. There's a lot of theology behind this part. So I gain victory over my enemies. I kind of gain victory over myself and who I think I'm supposed to be apart from Christ and how I'm pursuing that. I also gain victory over becoming and realizing the very best of who I am. Like, what does it really mean to be human on this planet before I, come, I go to be with him? How can I be the best example of the image of God on this planet while I'm here? sacrificing, being conquered by Christ is how I get then. Like the nobility of what it means to be a human is restored to us. So here's, I want to point this out with some really clear thinking, maybe hopefully for us today. So we are currently, again, man, just at this flashpoint in our country where we're struggling with what, it, what, does human, what is human life? What does it mean to be alive? At what point do you have value? The moment your head pops out of the womb, because quite frankly, that's not true in some places in America. When your whole body comes out of the womb, the first time you take a breath outside of the womb, the womb, at what point do you have value? We're talking about that right now. Human sexuality, and some of you here, oh my gosh, pastor said the S word. Yes, human sexuality. This is a gigantic issue in our country, and I'm not talking about homosexuality and transgenderism and queer eye for the straight guy and blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? What is masculinity and what is femininity? We have lost that. We have lost some of what it means to be a noble human creature because we don't even know what it means to be a man or a woman. 
We've lost that concept. Gender, gender roles. There's an abuse of power issue that I suppose we're always going to struggle with as humans. Lack of conscientious morality for the needy, using race to anyone's advantage or disadvantage. Listen, when you submit yourselves to Christ, when we truly live for him, he restores to us a nobility of humanity that we lost. What does it really mean to be a noble human image of God? I don't know that until I give myself up and I'm conquered by Christ. And he restores that to me. All the evidence is that we have lost that nobility as human creatures. God forgive us and God restore it to us. That we would be image bearers of God. Amen? Conscientious image bearers of Christ. That's what it looks like to be conquered by him. So we are the conquered army. He is throughout, this is such a great image. So he's marching through time and he's like looking at us and he's going, look what I beat. I'm dragging behind my chariots all these people that I've beaten. And we're like, praise God, he beat me. (laughs) He conquered me, right? I surrendered, okay? So yes, he's dragging us that way, but he's also at the same time going, and they're my trophies of battle. Not for dishonor, but for honor. They're my trophies of grace. So think about it this way. If you can put yourself in that world, Hey, Jesus, you know, Michael, the archangel, comes to him maybe, and they're like talking. Hey, Jesus, I know you fought this battle on the cross. What did you earn? Did you get a throne? Did you get a name? Did you get praise and power and authority? And I think, I think at some point or another, Jesus looks at Michael and he goes, I got Joe. He goes, yep, that's what I'm most proud of. I got Joe. Look at him. You have no idea what a loser that guy was, Michael. (laughs) You have no idea what a sinner that guy was. He was a slave to his pride and to thinking that he could be happy with more and more of all the other stuff that I created. I went to earth and I lived perfectly and I died and I rose again and I got Joe. And I want the whole universe to know that he's mine. Praise be to God because Christ leads us forever in triumph. Amen? We march in triumph with God through Jesus Christ. Now listen, I don't have time to get into it. I'm not preaching triumphalism. I'm not saying that everything you run across in your life right now, you're going to have victory over because we're all going to die. I don't want your theology to die when you die, okay? So we're going to die. Something's going to get us at some point or another. You're going to stub your toe today. You're going to get a a splinter in your finger, right? You're going to run out of sugar while you're baking something. You're not going to triumph over everything, okay? That's called triumphalism, That's not what I'm preaching here today. It doesn't happen all the time in the here and the now because we have our feet firmly planted in two different times, two different kingdoms. We don't realize all of our victories here and now. That is future grace. That's the stuff we're counting on for eternity, that there is something that God's going to give us then where we live forever in this victory, in this triumph. But even now, Christ is leading us in this parade of triumph. I found that to be amazing and lots of reasons for worship and praise. Verses 15 and 16, he talks about this aroma and this fragrance. And that was kind of one of my questions today was like, did you know that you smell? Some of you got really, oh, you're like, oh, right? Did you know that you smell? And this is like a medical condition we all have. We have volatile, this sounds so gross, volatile organic compounds that emanate from our body all the time. I don't even know what that is. 
volatile organic compounds. And these microbiotic pheromones and hormones that are coming out of our body all the time have an odor, right? So we're all like, yeah, I I took care of that today, right? So what are you the fragrance of? What are you the fragrance of? And I want to, we're going to obviously dive into a little more than just what you smell like. But I want you to think about this. Like, what are you the fragrance of? Are you the fragrance of essential oils? Are you the fragrance of keto diet? Are you the fragrance of basketball? Are you the fragrance of tuna? Junior high boys, are you the fragrance of Axe body spray? (laughs) The answer is yes, you are, by the way. More is always better, guys. <laughs> so I want you to think back about that, that time in Rome and the general would come back. One of the things that you would experience throughout the city, they'd light them a week before the parade started. They would light giant bowls of incense all throughout the city. So even before the party started and the parade began, there'd be these huge bowls of fragrance and incense to celebrate the returning king and the general who won the battle. The battle. And that fragrance would emanate throughout the city for a week before it even began to have the celebration. So here's what I want you to think about when you think about your fragrance and the the odor that you're taking with you out into this world. Listen, don't be so concerned about being the correct fragrance, but that you're also a sweet fragrance. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in being correct that we forget we're supposed to be the sweet fragrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to a world that is dying. It says that G- the Bible says Jesus is the rose of Sharon. At the same time, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't fall so hard way truth and the life that you forget the sweetness that Jesus is the rose of Sharon. And there's something that we're supposed to be emanating, some sweet fragrance that's supposed to come out of us with mercy and truth and grace, the core of the gospel. So we'll go back to where we maybe started as you're going with the gospel, as you go through your life, as you go home, everywhere you go normally, how does your neighborhood and your locker room and your office and your community smell because you've been there? Remember, I want you to remember, remember like Paul, Paul is beat up. He's having a hard time. And even when we despair, even when we don't want to live, Paul says that in the verse we looked at last week, I thought I was going to die. Even when it's so hard and life is pressing us down with such difficulty and pressure, the aroma of Christ is also rising up from us as we express hope and trust in God that he is doing a work that I cannot see. Our hope is not in our body. Our hope is not in our wife or our husband or our children or our boss. Our hope is that God who made us and the God who saved us is seeing us through, and he is with us, and he is working in us to the completion of all good things. Is that what you're leaving behind? Is that the aroma that's coming out of you, even as life pushes you down? Other people will see that hope in us, and even though they can't name it as Jesus, like they can't say, oh, that looks like Jesus, they'll know that there's something sweet about our daily living and how we face pain, and it's something they could be drawn to. 
Paul is in his misery and his suffering, and as he serves the Lord and he's pressed down, this aroma rises up out of his life. Will we be that aroma to the people that are in our lives right now? And I mean now, like today, starting now, not later. So many times we're like, well, yeah, I'm going to be that sweet aroma and fragrance to people when life is less busy. When my kids get a little bit older, when I'm less hectic in my life, when I have less pain in my life, then I can be a good witness to other people. What if we just kind of walk out of here and we're like, what can I do to support the faith of the people that God has already brought into my life? You ever thought about that? That everyone in your life is on some kind of continuum, either kind of toward God or maybe away from God. But if there's a little seed of faith in somebody's life, what if we're like, how could my aroma and fragrance encourage that little seed of faith in somebody else? How can we be active in their lives in some way or another for their good, for their spiritual good? And as we come in and as we leave, there's some fragrance of the sweetness of Christ. Sometimes we are... We feel the pressure, the temptation to change our lives, to change our message so that we're more acceptable to the world. Here's what I would say about that. The minute we start doing that, we don't live really as sacrifices or slaves to Jesus, Jesus anymore. We're, living to, we're slaves to acceptance. And we're slaves to being liked. And we're slaves to having friends. Our whole calling at that point can become just about going to church for a few hours of work a week. And then that becomes how we define what a disciple of Christ means. We quit asking the question, how are you living your life when you go to work? How are you living your life at home and with your neighbors and on the soccer field? And we start asking the question, well, how often are they here in this, these walls? And we begin to define Christianity by how often they're here. We begin to define discipleship and following Jesus with how many meetings they show up to. And we give pins away to people and we celebrate them on a board in front of the church because they've been here more than anybody else. Is that what it means to be a disciple? Partly, but not totally, right? We have to ask the question, what are we doing out of here? What does it look like to be a disciple when I'm not here in this place? What aroma and fragrance am I taking with me out there? Now, this is what's crazy about this whole discussion. Paul says at the same time, that I can be a sweet fragrance of the gospel to people, at the very same time, I can be the stench of death to some people. So at the same, now we're all super conscientious, right? Oh, I'm the stench of death this morning, right? I should have showered twice this week, right? We can't change how Jesus has called us to speak or live or act just because the world finds us to be the aroma of death. Listen, there's a lot of people that look at our message and they're like, you, you follow a dead God. You have nothing to bring but death and misery. I can't undo that in them. I, I can't change that about them. The same gospel that brings life to some people brings offense to some people and death to some people. I can't change my message to make it more palatable for them. Is your Christianity a hobby, a really privately intense devotional relationship, or is it a publicly lived out true realization of a changed heart and a changed spirit and a changed mind and changed desires. Now then Paul says, this is a big deal. We're called to be this aroma. And he says, who can do this? Who can, who can actually walk out of here and kind of take on them the responsibility of being the sweet aroma of Christ and the stench of death to people? 
there's a lot of pressure in that. So look at verse 17 real quick. He says at the end of 16, who is adequate for this? And then he says, for we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So he kind of tells you, here's who qualifies as a person to take this message of, of fragrant, sweet gospel and stench of death to people. Here's who this person is. Who can actually qualify to do that? Who wants that kind of responsibility? He says this, he says there's this dying to Christ, which he talked about, slavery to Christ in order to bring the gospel to many people, but a lot of people are going to turn away. So who qualifies? First of all, those who don't, don't treat Christ as less than our beautiful Savior. Those people who, who don't treat Christ as anything less than our beautiful Savior. Second thing he says, those who speak genuinely, not falsely, not with fake happiness, not with hypocrisy, their sincerity. We've talked about this before. You do not have to go and sell the benefits of Jesus to people. You have to go talk to them about what life is like with Jesus. You know, there's a big difference there, man. Huge difference there. I'm not trying to give you all the things that might happen if you follow Christ. I'm just telling you what it looks like to follow Christ in my life. That's a big difference, right? So it's not a sales job so much as it is a testimony. Speaking with sincerity, with genuineness. Next thing, speaking with humble power and authority. That means you have a consistent lifestyle that's lived in humble confidence and words of truth that are seasoned by grace. There are those who are not deterred by the opinion and the criticism of men. People will criticize you, make fun of you, mock you, etc., etc., because of your faith. Reject you, be nice, because we're in the South, so we're still a little nice to people. So they can be nice to you and reject you. Those people who are not changed and deterred by criticism and the opinions of men to change who you are to better satisfy what they want. You qualify. Those who speak and live in Christ, we are his ambassadors and our identity is in Jesus, not in their acceptance of me. And again, not because we're good, not because we're great, but because Christ is leading us in triumph. I'm already defeated, but I also belong to him so I can go be his aroma. Those are the people that he says can go and do this. Now, this word peddling is a weird word. We don't use it much anymore, really at all. That word is the word they would use for a street vendor who was a huckster. He was a, a shenanigan guy. He would, he would sell you snake oil, right? Actually, the, the primary way it was used was for a man who would sell oil, I mean, sell wine, and he would add water to the wine to water it down so that you felt like you got a better deal and he made more money. So he, he looks at us and he says, who can do this? Who can be the aroma of Christ to a fallen world and take on the, the potential of being rejected as a person who's not a peddler, someone who doesn't tamper with the gospel, eliminating or minimizing its offensive elements, altering certain theological points so that the finished project will be more appealing to the audience. We cannot take the gospel and change it. It is offensive to some and life to others, right? It's the cornerstone for some and the rock that crushes to others. I can't undo that. And the more I try to undo that, the more I rob the gospel of its power. At the core of the gospel is the idea that I die, right? I am conquered. 
and I've surrendered myself to Christ. And the more I take that away, the more the gospel and its rebuilding and reshaping and recreating of me loses its power. So I can't change it for those reasons. I don't want to peddle that. That is the call for us, to follow Christ in his victory and then to follow him in being spilled out and burned up for other people. That's how we're supposed to follow Christ. So am I spilling myself out for other people so they're going to know Christ through me? Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about that and he says, I'm being, he says it also in another book, he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering for you. If I'm being poured out, used up in ministry to you, I am fulfilling my purpose. So we don't want to peddle the word. We want to live out the word and give ourselves to each other like that. So here's the thing. You can't help but smell like Jesus the more that you're around him. The more that you're around Jesus, the more you're going to smell like him. I was around somebody this week who had on thieves oil. Not only did I smell like oil, I think two people dropped dead because they had the sniffles right around them. But you do. You take on the smell of the people that are around you. What smell, what aroma do we want to have in us? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Who do you smell like? Who are you spending your time with? Christ himself is the aroma of God, which is then exhaled through us in our character and in our work. So the life of a follower of Jesus comes from God and the saving work of Christ that's been worked in us, and then we take that fragrance and we give it away to other people. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you to think back about where we first started and ask yourself the question, where am I going this week? So think ahead. I want you to in- intentionally think about tomorrow and Tuesday and Thursday. And just say, where am I going? Then I want you to talk to God and say, God, where can I go for the gospel this week? Where can I go for the gospel this week? I got to go to work. I got to get some car work done. I got to run some errands. Got to go to soccer practice. Where can I go for the gospel this week? Then pray a prayer and ask something like this. God, I'm going to be around people this week. And the gospel to them is the stink of death. I'm taking with me the gospel of Christ as I go. But when they see it and when they hear it, they don't see sweetness and they don't see life. They, they hear death. God, they smell death. God, I pray that you would wake them up so that the gospel would become sweet to them. Wake them up as I live the life that you've put in me. As I take your fragrance with me, God, wake them up so that the gospel, that Jesus becomes sweet to them. And we didn't get into this, but I want you to pray about this too. It's in this text also. Yes, you're the, you're the fragrance of God to a lost world, but the first thing you are, Paul says, is a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. So we can, we can pray this. If nothing else, we can pray this. God, make me a sweet aroma to you this week. How I live my life, the things that I say, the plans that I make, the people that I talk to, how I go with the gospel, make me a sweet aroma to you this week, right? Be pleased in my life this week. And when you think about Joe, when you think about Alan or Veronica, when you think about anybody in this room, God, think about me as your trophy of grace. 
And I pray that my life this week is pleasing to you. Father, this is a a great text, a great reminder of what you've done.